Okay, uh, last week we started with uh, this new topic in our series on doctrine. Uh, and full disclosure, uh, the TV is not working, and so you're going to have to just like track with me, and I will do the best I can here um, with a lot of this. Um, we started with the Trinity last week, and it was super easy and not confusing at all. And um, we had two main thoughts last week. Uh, the first thought was, is this right here? The Trinity is essential. Uh, Michael Reeves, who's a book we're really following if you study the Trinity, is a great book. I encourage you to pick it up called Life in the Trinity. Michael Reeves says this. If the Trinity were something we could shave off of God, we would not be relieving him of some irksome weight. We would be shearing him of precisely what is so delightful about him. For God is triune, and it is as triune that he is so good and desirable. So the Trinity, it is essential. It's an essential part of who God is, that if we leave behind, we leave behind who God is. But also, number two, the Trinity is biblical. Now, we don't see the actual word Trinity in Scripture, but we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all throughout Scripture. We see it in creation, where God says, let us make man in our image. We see it in the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is there, uh, the Father is speaking, and the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. We see it in the Great Commission, where Jesus commissions us to go baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is essential, and the Trinity is rooted in the Bible. But today, and for the next few weeks, we're going to look at how each role of the Trinity plays out. And today the question is, what is the Father's role? What is the Father's role? And to begin to answer that, we start with this fundamental question. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, you know, when you're by yourself, or what was God doing before creation? What was God doing before creation? creation. Now, there's, there's one thought that normally kind of guides how we think as a people here, because God is the one who brings everything else into existence, but who himself is not brought into being by anything. It's, he's, he's called the uncaused cause. The uncaused cause. Well, 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 it'll be less confusing. Hang on, let's, let's go. That's who he is. Sometimes we think that's just who he is. He is essentially God the creator, or, or he's essentially the one in charge. He is the ruler. He is the creator. He is the ruler. Many times we start there with God. And this sounds right and reasonable, and we can't object to this, but if we start here, if this is our basic view of God, then we're going to find our Christianity very incomplete. And, and here's why. Because the problems don't stop there. If God's very identity is to be the ruler, that's his very identity, what kind of salvation can he offer us? If God is the ruler, and the problem is that I have broken the rules, the only salvation he can offer is to forgive me and treat me as if I've kept the rules. But God's very identity or central identity and our relationship cannot be much different than that. It's almost like a traffic cop for a second, where 
so going to the office every day, uh, many times right there, uh, we get past the courthouse, headed towards the office. Um, cops love to sit right there and, and wait for you to go more than 20 miles an hour and try to pull you over. And the way I perceive this cop, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to be caught by him, by this rule, and he is going to give me a ticket, and I'm going to be bitter at him. Or two, I'm going to hide from him, right? We see the cop, we slip the brakes on real quick, we act all cool. Like, oh, I'm just driving slow, officer. So either we're frustrated that we're caught by this guy, or we're hiding from him. But in neither case would it give me a reason to love him. Because even if, like God, he chose to let me off the hook for my law-breaking, I still wouldn't love him. I might feel grateful, and that maybe it might be a deep gratitude, but it's not the same thing as love. If salvation simply means him letting me off and counting me as a law-abiding citizen, then gratitude and not love is all I have. If his essential identity is creator and ruler. In other words, we can't ever really love the God who is essentially just the ruler. Which, in a strange sense, means I can't follow the just simplest and greatest commandment, to love the Lord my God. If we start with this very identity being ruler. Now, the other way to think about God is much more evenly paved. And it's full of a, a light and a lamp, and that's through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is, in fact, the way, we're told. It's a lane that ends happily in a very different place, with a very different sort of God than just ruler. Here's how. Just the fact that Jesus, here's the, here's the key, is the Son. Jesus is the Son, says it all. Being a Son means what? He has a Father. The God he reveals, that Jesus reveals first and foremost, is a father. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, no man comes to the father except through me. So here's kind of the key point, the key thought driving us today about God. This is who God revealed himself to be. Not first and foremost a creator or a ruler, but first and foremost, a father. He is first and foremost a father. And this has huge implications for us as we worship God. Jesus tells us in John 17, 24, very clearly, Father, you have loved me before the creation of the world. That is the God that's revealed by Jesus Christ. Before he ever created before he ever ruled, before anything else, the God was the Father loving the Son. The most foundational thing about God is not some abstract quality, but it's the fact that he is Father. That he is Father. Again and again, Scripture equates the term God and Father over and over. Since God is before all things a Father and not primarily a creator and a ruler, his ways, I love this here, it says in the book, are beautifully fatherly. It's this beautiful, fa beautifully fatherly way he lives. He creates as a father, and he rules as a father. And that means the way he rules over creation is most unlike the way any other God would rule over creation. 
This is the problem with, with, with um, religions that have a single God, right? And not a three-in-one God. That God is inherently selfish. 1 John 4, 7-8 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Listen, God's love is magnetic. Have you ever known that person that when you're, when you're just around them, you hang out with them, you talk with them, it literally changes the way that you think and see and live? Like that kind of, they're just so magnetic, they're so loving, they're so kind, they're so encouraging, they're so truthful that when you're around them, you can't help but love God, love others in a deeper way. This is just what it means for God to be the Father. For when John writes God is love in verse 8, he is clearly referring to God as the Father. His very next word in verse 9 are this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son. The God who is love is the Father who sends the Son. This is why our God being a Father and being three in one is so incredible. Single person gods, having spent eternity alone, are inherently self-centered beings. So it will be hard to see why a single a single uh, person God would actually create. Or worse, they would create out of their loneliness and out of their need, right? Those kind of gods are not worshiping. But our God was first a father and did not create out of any need at all. Because God the Father and the Son and the Spirit lived in this great loving community forever. So think of God as a father. He is by his very nature life-giving. God, by his very nature, is life-giving. He is a father. You'd have to wonder if, if it was a, a barren God who, who was not a father, if he'd be capable of giving life and, and birthing creation. But we have no doubt about our gods, our father. For eternity, he has been fruitful, been potent, and vitalizing. For such a God, and only this kind of God, it seems very natural and not surprising at all that he would bring about moral life and he would create. So it's from this identity of him being first a father that we can unpack what the father's role is. And here's how we're going to start. Our father is a loving creator. Our father is a loving creator. But he is a creator so much greater than we can imagine. Like my boys um, love Legos. They play Legos uh, probably every day. They play Legos on, on some level. And they love to create. But their creations, many times, are inherently selfish. Aren't they? So if Connor creates something, and then Hattie comes and messes it up, you get the wrath of Connor. You get the wrath of Connor. If Hayes um, makes uh, something in Legos, and I say, Connor, that's a great job. Hayes is very offended because Hayes needs approval from his creation, right? And that's how we, we're the same way, aren't we, with our jobs? 
We, we create something, we have pride in it, right? And if someone comes behind us, behind us and messes our job up, we get very frustrated and angry, don't we? Because they're wrong and we're right. And we take this view of creation and we apply it to God. But God is wholly different than us. He's a creator so much greater than we can imagine. That's worthy of great worship. Since God the Father has eternally loved the Son, it makes perfect sense for him to turn then and create others that might also love them, the Godhead. He created out of love for us to love him. Creation is this extension of the Father's love for the Son. And it's outward so that it might be enjoyed by others. Out of his love, abounding, he creates. It's this fountain of love brimmed over is creation. Paul in, in Romans 8 puts it this way. For those, God, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This God does not begrudge having someone else beside him. He enjoys it. He has always enjoyed showering his love on his son, and in creating, he rejoices to shower his love on his children that he loves through his son. And that now we are created in the same image, right? This image of a triune, loving God and we're destined to be conformed to His likeness. And this image is simply a continuation of that outgoing movement of love that was started in creation. That God is, in a sense, through Jesus, recreating us back to our original image. The God who loves to love has His outgoing image of Himself through His Son. John 17 says this, Jesus talking to the Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. The Father loved him before the creation of the world, and the reason the Father sends him is that the Father's love for him might be in us also. This is why the Son goes out from the Father, in both creation and in salvation, that the love of the Father for the Son might be shared. This has huge implications for us huge so i guess if you're in here you probably know the biblical account of the fall right so god created and it was good and then sin happened right fractured everything our relationship with god our relationship with each other and and sin distorted god's creation and out of god's overflowing love because what do, what do you do, so if I was, so sometimes I'll work on like a, a crossword puzzle, right? Or like a, I mean like a puzzle you do, like a, uh, what do you call those things? A jigsaw, my goodness, a jigsaw puzzle. 
And if I spend a few hours creating that, and then, my, and then Hattie comes behind and knocks it on the ground, normally I yell, right? Normally I yell. Um, but our God, in His overflowing love, has a plan to fix what we broke, right? And that plan is centered through His Son, Jesus. The overflowing His love through Jesus, He comes near to us. And then He makes a way through His life, death, and resurrection, right? To repair His creation, repair His people, repair humanity, right? Through faith in Him, what's happening is we are being recreated into the image that we were originally created in. And so this same love that God rescues us with, here's the key. As we are caught up in union with the Godhead, with the Trinity, in this kind of love, we are then called in the same way to go and show and model and tell of that abounding love to other people. So in the Trinity, what we see, what we see is this constant preferring and honor to one another. And so what happens as we are saved and rescued, we are then now through the same outgoing love being sent out to model and show honor and preference and love to others. And here is the beauty of two things that we should model this kind of relationship. It's in marriage and it's in the church. That the love of the Father and the Godhead is really showed off to a watching world. And the truth, if we're honest, in the church, both those things we have failed miserably, correct? So in the Trinity, we see this outgoing, honor-filled love for one another. And we're told in Ephesians 5 that our marriages are the same picture to the world. So we see this picture through Christ, right? Of loving, sacrificed, and loving leadership that men are called to in a marriage. Men, our leadership almost always looks like us doing and saying the things nobody else wants to do. Our leadership is centered around serving and sacrifice, not domineering and not yelling, correct? If we are loving Christ like Christ loves the church, it's that kind of love. It's washing our bride through the word of God, not the venom of our words. So, so we are to sacrifice everything for the sake of our bride. And then our bride lovingly honors and submits to our headship and our leadership. And as our marriages do these two things, we give, guys, do y'all know how fractured marriage is in the world today? That we have this beautiful opportunity through doing, I heard a clip, it was from Chandler this week, you know, <laughs> Years ago, um, to really make it be a witness to the world, we had to know all these apologetics and have all this way to debate people. The truth is, to be a great Christian today, just don't be a jerk. Just love your wife like Christ loves the church. Give yourself up for these things. And if we do this and have marriages this way, that's a scandalous marriage where it's a marriage not about my needs or my rights or her needs or her rights. It's about this honestly supernatural, eternal, Trinitarian love that God has poured out on us that we then pour out on each other as husband and wife. That's a great picture to a watching world. But also there's this implication for the church 
where um, the things that divide the world don't divide the church, right? Because we live this preferential life for one another. What does Paul call it? We outdo one another in showing honor. That we are just constantly, in every possible way, through, what does it say? Love covers a multitude of offenses. Listen, just showing up to a church, you're going to be offended by other people. The way they talk, the clothes they wear, by their kids, by their money, by their job. You're going to find ways to be offended, right? But in this Trinitarian love poured out on us that we are now carrying out for a watching world to see, love covers a multitude of offenses. But also in the church, what are we to be built up into Christ? We need what? We need truth in love. So also in the church, there is this supernatural honesty, right? Because we know we have this safety that we are so loved by one another, we're then free to like share the truth. Like, man, the way you talk to your kids is not helping them. Man, the stuff that I know that you're looking at is not helping you. Man, you're on your phone all the time. Why are you on your phone all the time? There is this picture of loving community in truth that is a picture of the Godhead for a world that is just yelling at each other, right? But instead, we've exchanged the truth for a lie, the church has. And we've just joined in the yelling, haven't we? When we are called to something different, something more, we are not citizens of this earth. God calls His people aliens because we're a part of an eternal relationship of the Godhead. So I say all that, that God being a loving Father and a loving Creator as the start of everything has huge implications for us. That if we set our mind on things above, if we turn our eyes towards Him, right? It puts everything else into the right focus. Our Father's a loving Creator. So how did this triune God create? You can see in Genesis 1, He creates through His Word, which we see from John 1, is Jesus, and His Spirit. Uh, a, a theologian, one of the early church fathers, Arrhenius of Lyon, says this, Therefore, like to speak the God of Son and the Spirit as the Father's two hands. Now, he didn't mean to imply that the Son and the, Fa- and the Spirit are not really persons. Jesus himself called the Spirit of God the finger of God. It's that the Son and the Spirit are the Father's agents. Bring about the will of the Father. You see this in creation and you see it in salvation as well. In Genesis 1, the word goes out in the power of the hovering spirit, so that in God's breath, his word is heard. Let there be light. Thus the Father creates through his word. It's John 1, right? The word being his executive arm. That means the Son is so fully involved in his Father's work of creation that Paul can write, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. The very nature of the triune God, I love this here, is to be effusive and bountiful. The Father rejoices to have another beside him, and he finds his very self 
and pouring out his love. Creation is about the spreading, the outward explosion of that love. This God is the very opposite of us, of greedy, hungry, selfish emptiness. It's in his self-giving that he naturally pours out, pours forth his life and his goodness. He is then the source of all that is good. This means he's not that sort of God who would call people to himself away from happiness and good things. Goodness and joy and ultimate happiness are only found with him, not apart from him. This is the foolishness of the world, right? God created things in a way. And we, in our sin, in our foolishness, keep trying to find another way. And this is how he created the world. Good. But God, hear this. <clears throat> Excuse me. God is a loving creator. And being triune, it also explains how evil exists. This is so good right here. This triune God, he's the sort of God who will make room for another to have a real existence. The father, who delights to have a son, chooses to create many children who will have real lives of their own. To share the love and freedom he has always enjoyed. The creatures of the triune God are not mere extensions of him. He gives them life and personal being. Allowing them, that though means allowing them to turn away from him himself. By giving them this kind of life, it allows them, as we see, to turn away from God himself. And that is the origin of evil. By graciously giving his creatures the room to exist, this triune God allows them the room to turn away without himself being the author of evil. He created us to love him and we turn away. See, there's this eternal harmony of the Father, of the Son, and the Spirit that provides the logic for a world in which everything was created to exist in this cheerful harmony. And which still, you can still see this, despite sin and discord and evilness, we still see the elements of that harmony, don't we? We see it in the rising and the falling of the sun. We see this beautiful harmony, this beautiful order. You hear it in a beautiful song, don't you? Like in the beautiful harmonies you hear in a song, our ears just hear this and say, yes, that is right. That is good. I, I love the changing seasons. We don't have that much around here, right? We get like fall for like five minutes. But you feel this, this, this harmony uh, this order, this loving creator over all these things. This was the overflow that we were created out of. And this is also the problem. He created us and we turned away, right? Not just Adam and Eve. So Connor uh, said, Dad, did you know that if Adam and Eve did not eat that fruit, we'd all be naked right now? <laughs> I said, Connor, I think you missed a few things there. But, you know, I mean... Um, but it wasn't just Adam and Eve, was it? It's every day. It's every day that we turn away from this abounding love. Turn away from this abounding love. 
And here is the call for us as Christians in response to this Trinitarian fatherly love. The call of our life is to abide and remain in this love in the same way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit abide in loving union with one another. We are to be caught up in this abounding love and not caught up in lesser things. And every single day, don't you do this? I turn away and I'm caught up in lesser things. And I miss out and I forget about this. And what happens is we, if we're doing this correctly, if through faith we enter into this union, right? And then abide in this, what happens is we get caught up in this abounding love and we can't help but to abound in love for one another and love for others. Too many times we try to force love for one another and there are times we have to like deny ourselves and just love one another. But first and foremost, we are to be caught up and abiding and remaining in this fatherly love. That is the call for the Christian life. So, main thought today, our Father is a loving creator. Our Father is a loving creator. Let me pray for us. How was your weekend, man? Good. You watch some football yesterday? What's that? Watch some football, football yesterday? Yeah, I'm going to get it in a little bit. Got my heart broken a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> we had the momentum and everything. But, but you know, like, y'all not going to get it in a little bit. No, no, no. You can do whatever you want to tell them. It's just, it's, 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 it's